Hello and welcome to another episode of your show. A reminder that we are now on Patreon, so for as low as a dollar a month, you can support us and help us become the best show that we possibly can be. Today's guest is Kenneth Headley. Kenneth is a vice principal in the Lower Mainland at a high school, as well as an anti-racist educator for educators. He talks a lot about his story, why he got into this, why it's important to him and should be important to the world, as, uh, as well as some of the, the, the difficulties, the barriers, and the walls that he's had to break through in his pursuits. I, I truly enjoyed him being on the show. It's been an honor and a privilege. I hope you enjoy, and I hope you get something out of it. Thank you for listening. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered, this is an open mind. You're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. All right, Kenneth, how are you doing today? I'm good, Rob. It's nice. Uh, it's a sunny, looks like it's going to be a sunny uh, Saturday morning before this storm hits us tomorrow. So yeah. uh, I'm good. I'm glad to be here. And uh, thank you for having me on. Oh, man, it's, it's my pleasure. Uh, I first... I uh, saw you a few, I think a few months ago, you were doing a, a presentation on anti-racism and for educators. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking to a good friend of mine who was also at that meeting. He's like, oh yeah, I know this guy. I'm like, oh, you, you know him? And he's like, yeah, I grew up with him. I'm like, dude, I got to have this guy on the show. He knows what he's talking about. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, I, I thank you so much for that. Yeah, that was the, uh, the Surrey Counselor's anti-racism presentation. So um, you know, it was, it's awesome when, when you get invited in, uh, to, to talk with adults. Cause you know, having courageous conversations about race is hard, right? That, that's why they say they're courageous, right? So, uh, to be able to have those conversations with, with everybody and, uh, to kind of open everybody's eyes to some of the things that we see, uh, it was great. So thank you for being a part of it, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. For me, a lot of it started, um, I just started reading a little bit more. Like I always thought I was quote unquote anti-racist right? Uh, until I started reading books. And I, and I thought to myself, Whoa, to what extent and uh, people like um, Paul Mooney and uh, oh, name slipped me right now. Baldwin, James Baldwin. Thank you. James Baldwin. They talk about this idea of the dominant culture creates what they think the ideal minority is Mm -hmm. and to what extent was I maybe falling into that? Right. Yeah. 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 I I mean, um, the model, the model immigrant or the model minority is, is a concept that's uh, always been out there because for you to be successful uh, and to navigate white supremacy culture, you, you got to play the game. Right. And so, uh, you know, when you look at, different groups of people that have come to Canada and how people have viewed different immigrants coming into, I, I should just say North America mm-hmm. or, or European Eurocentric cultures. Um, it's the ones who show similar traits to the dominant culture that seem to be more successful. Right. And, and so you see, you see like for me anyways, in British Columbia, um, you know, the Asian community, the, the Indo-Canadian community, the black community, they're, they're all, we're all, you know, trying to find ourselves within this dominant culture and depending on income or, you know, or your financial uh, stability, 
or your academic prowess, uh, people tend to push you up accordingly, right? And and throughout history, uh, you know, whiteness is always something that's mm-hmm. been measured, right? Like Italian uh, Italians that came across to Canada, Ukrainians that came across to Canada, um, they faced that, right? They they weren't white enough at at yeah. one point, but then dominant culture to maintain whiteness will then grab people in to 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 meet that whiteness, right? And so when we when we see that, what what tends to happen um, is that the more you're away from that the that dominant culture ideas or values, uh, the more you become the dangerous one, right? And that's what we tend to see with Black and Indigenous youth uh, in, in education, right? So, yeah, it, it's interesting you bring that up. <clears throat> Social Darwinism and uh, yeah, eugenics, right? That these <laughs> were actually fields of science in the 19th century, yeah. and that that certain races. Like that was that was true racism in the sense of this one is superior, right? Like a northern Italian is superior than a southern Italian. Yes. That was pure racism. Yes. Um, but now we're seeing something that's a little bit different. And and I apologize. I, I want to cite my sources appropriately. I want to believe it was Ibram Kendi that was speaking around. What we're seeing a little bit more is almost culturalism. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Ibram's Ibram, book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, uh, changed my perspective on a lot uh, of Me that, too. Right? So, yeah. um, I mean, he has he has that cultural side of racism, um, you know, the biological side of racism, right? All these different uh, parts of his book are, are so empowering and, and it makes you look at the world differently because, you know, I think the one thing I took from him, especially, you know, as we talk about cultural racism and so forth, was that he did a really good job of doing a self inventory of black cultural racism within along it. along right. the way it was almost totally. like autobiographical yes yeah and, story. And, it, and it had to be right like yes. here's 16 year old 17 year old candy doing that presentation on Martin Luther King Jr day or, or that Martin Luther Jr King contest that he he ends up winning and he's sitting there doing the the Bill Cosby the mm-hmm. old Don Lemon stuff of you know black men need to pull their pants up you need to do this you need to do this to be successful in the black community and and from that you get you know being a Caribbean uh, a young Caribbean black man like our family believed in uplift suasion right and that's yes. a, that's a frame that Kendi uses right or a phrase that he uses where you know we got to work harder we got to be better um, and you got to do all these things to to succeed right. Uh, and so, you know, in losing, in doing that, you become closer to that dominant culture and develop racist ideologies, not just about other people, but about yourself, right? Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois talks about that back uh, in his book, ni- 19 or 1903 work, uh, Souls of Black Folk, right? Mm-hmm. That, that double consciousness. It's not just how people see you, but how you see yourself in those interactions, right? And that veil, that, that, veil, um, that people have between how you see yourself and how they see you uh, affects how uh, you interact with people. And it, it's so true. Like as a black educator, when I walk into a room, I have to think about that. I got to think, how are people seeing me from their perspectives? Right. And then it changes the way I interact with them as well. Right. So there's, there's so much power in, in the work that Candy did and allowing black people to sit back and say, Oh man, we got some work to do. Right. we got colorism. we got all this other stuff. But in that, you know, we are all navigating white supremacy culture, right? right. The, the policies, the, the 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 books, the histories that are out there that tell us we are not good enough. That is what we are fighting against, right? 
I, I, I really like what he said too. He did a chapter, I, I believe it was on how white people can be racist towards themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? yeah. You know, like we have these, uh, not to typify, but lit, you know, people self-proclaimed liberal educated white people that mm-hmm. consider other people white trash. Yeah. And yeah. you think, well, how's that, how's that any different? I mean, that's, and, and I've done that. I've looked at other people and said, you know, the hell's wrong with those people? Yeah. Referring to other white people. Totally. Right? Yeah. And then you yeah, think, yeah. well, well, that's kind of that's racism too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or or at least I'm comparing a group as and, and this is what can, uh Candy really hits home for me. Anytime we're looking at groups as superior, inferior, mm-hmm. that's not that's that's racist. That that flies in the face of anti-racism. Totally. Um, I mean, as you as you just kind of mentioned there, like, you know, you're starting to go into the work from Kendi into Kimberly Crenshaw yes. and intersectionality, yes. right? You know what I mean? Because you get a lot of people when we talk about white privilege, for example, you get a lot of people that go, um, hey, I'm I, I, I was brought up poor. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, white mm-hmm. supremacy and white privilege. And I'm going, no, no, no. It's your 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 skin color didn't give you those issues. Right. It was other societal things that led to those issues, but not your skin color, right? And you, there are benefits for that. And, and you know, to be fair, own that. Just say, hey, yeah, I, I did get some benefit from that. But, you know, poverty, another part of intersectionality, poverty, I didn't have that privilege, right? Um, and so I love that about Kenny. And I, I think the biggest thing I took from him as well was, you know, even as we do the group stuff and, the, and then we get into the individual stuff, it's really challenging policy, procedures, and systems that are that are based in white supremacy culture right at the end of the day right so uh we're all racists we all have racist tendencies we need to own that and and do some self uh you know some self-reflection and self-assessment about that but at the end of the day how do we take our privilege and challenge white supremacy culture to make that change right so and and to me i see privilege as uh i'm actually reading this book right now it's called black privilege by charlemagne the god yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I'm not quite there yet at the end. But what he's saying is that he's making me think about what we mean when we use the term privilege. And mm-hmm. really, it's just power. It, it's, it's power and potential. Yeah. You know, yeah. so what are you going to use your power and potential for? Are you going to yeah. talk to the manager with it? Right. Or are you going to try and make the world a better place and educate yourself? Like, what are you doing mm-hmm. with the things that you're given? Man, you're doing some reading. I appreciate this, man. This is big stuff. Well, you know, I I I, uh, I used to party a lot, and uh, I was re- I, I realized this is not getting me anywhere in my life, right? If yeah. anything, it's setting me back. So, <laughs> last Friday or last night, rather, I was just reading reading my book, and uh, you know, kids yeah. kids change you. They make you better. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That was that that was my life growing up, right? Like I, yeah. I a little bit of story uh you know we, we were talking just before we got in you know a little bit of my story so mm-hmm. so people understand where i'm coming from yeah um you know parents from the caribbean right trinidad and tobago both of my parents uh my dad really cool story he uh plays steel drums and was part of a group that toured with liberace uh oh. for like six years they were nominated for a grammy um uh the so uh steel band and so um, you know, back in Trinidad, my dad, in, in the terms of carnival and the community, uh, the Headley name in, in steel drums is something that was 
that's pretty prominent, right? And so uh, I, I grew up, you know, my dad working for Canada Post out here, but then every January, February, when we went back down to Carnival, uh, you know. He's a rock star. He's, right? Yeah. So it was yeah. cool. And, and I fell in love with Pan, um, and I started playing as a little kid. But I grew up here in Surrey. Uh, KB Woodward Elementary in Wally, mm -hmm. uh, then went to West Wally Junior Sec, and then um, Queen Elizabeth Secondary School. And um, I mean, we'll probably have to have another uh, another call to talk about all the racism I got yes. in school. Um, being, you know, one of, you know, usually three black families in the school, and the comments that were made, you know, right. from kindergarten all the way up uh, to grade twelve, and and you know, you start to, as Marcel talked about in his podcast you start to um, live into the stereotype, right? And, and you start to become, uh, you know, w whether you're an athlete or you want to be a rapper or whatever, but being smart is not part of being black for a young mm. black man during these times because you don't get cool being the smart black guy, right? Like nobody gives you any street cred. So you go down that route. I was lucky enough to get a scholarship uh, to uh, Florida Memorial University uh, a steel drum scholarship. And so I spent my first year of my university experience in Florida at a historical black university. Right. And it was there where I saw black professors every single day that changed some stuff for me. And I was like, yeah, I can, you know, I can do this. I can be this. And so when you talk about children, I came back, uh, dated, I was dating my, my wife, who was my high school sweetheart, uh, Kristen, who had, uh, who's in your master's class. And, uh, Christy and I came back and, and, uh, about a year later after I came back from Florida, uh, she got pregnant and, mm. and or not, she, we got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had our son, Nathaniel. And from that point on, you're right. Kids change it. Right. And so I wasn't just trying to be better for myself anymore. Uh, I had to be better for, for my family. And, and so that's how I got into teaching is uh, I was finishing up my degree and we were having him. And uh, I, I went through pretty quickly, I, like three, three and a half years to kind of finish up. Um, and as I was coming down to the end, um, you know, I was doing some side jobs. I was working at the YMCA doing some Steve Nash basketball coordination. And then I was doing some real estate training on the side as well. Um, got to a point. I was like, where, where, where do I go from here? Mm. And uh turns out that my father-in-law actually uh his best friend from racquetball his wife was uh an assistant soup in surrey at the time patricia Haslaw. and so i got to sit down with patricia in their place in white rock and you walk into their their condo um at the top of uh 152 there just on the other side of 16th and it's just ocean views and it's yeah. like this 2400 square foot penthouse and I'm sitting there going, this is where I want to be, right? Like, how do I get here? Right. Um, and a whole lot of white supremacy culture and all this too, right? Don't get yes. me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But but you're looking at it and you're looking at that as your success. And and we had a great conversation. She said, Ken, you know what? Young young dude with, with a family, go to teaching, go to PDP, right? And so uh, applied to PDP. Weird story with PDP too, like um, teaching real estate, uh, in the, in the nighttime just to kind of make ends meet and uh my oh you were a real estate agent as well so, so i had my license i i never yeah. really actually practiced a whole lot but uh what happened was my mother-in-law ran this real estate training company um to get people through the ubc real estate exam a tutoring company um and i'd written the test and did really well so she was like hey would you help my company out by doing some training and so i did some private tutoring for a bit and then she had these classes because the real estate boom in 2005 2006 was huge before yeah. that before the crash in 2007 <laughs> right um and so she was like uh would you help me out and so i did right and um 
in teaching one of those classes, I had this guy in the back of my class. He was like, Hey, you're, you're pretty good at this. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, you should, you should really think about being a teacher. And I'm like, Oh, I just met with somebody. They told me the same thing. He's like, take your application to this person at SFU. And I'm like, huh? And he goes, yeah, just go take it. I'm going to tell them that they're there, that you're there. Just take it. So I go into SFU with my application. I go, Hey, can I take, I go to front office and they go, um, who are you here to see? I'm like, I'm here to see this person. His name was Megita Zola at the time. Yeah. I'm here to see Megita Zola. Okay, go right in. I go in and he looks at me and he goes, you're Todd's friend. And I go, yeah. He's like, I'm his father. And oh. I'm like, okay. Opportunity he, comes, right? He goes, hey, listen, <laughs> our application's coming up. So, you know, um, I know you have it here, but if there's anything you want to add to it to make it the best thing, go, go back, do it, bring it back to me. Um, and so that's what I did. And, and then I found out that, uh, got into PDP, um, got into the two modules or, or at the time there was item, which was the international teacher education module. And they, uh, they used to go to Trinidad at that time. So I really, I was pumped. I was like, yeah, that's the one I'm doing. I get to go be with my family back home for a bit. Uh, you know, I was going to bring Christy and the baby with me. Like we had this whole plan set up. Um, and then just, you know, as you got closer to the time, I was like, man, you know, taking the baby and Chris, Chrissy's going to be fish out of water. Never mm -hmm. been to Trinidad. She's, she's going to be alone a lot of the time because I'm going to be doing the school thing. Uh, so we both decided, you know, it'd be better for, for me to do the program here. So I got into the Surrey program and I did my practicum at Sullivan Heights um, with, weird, weirdly enough, a guy by the name of Randy Jagernat Singh, who's a uh, VP in New West now, but uh, Randy from trinidad as well oh. uh, so i got to do my practical with somebody who understood culture and so forth um and then i got hired first gig was queen elizabeth my old high school and then uh, that's weird eh? i i've worked at my old high school where'd you go to high school uh clayton heights oh wow okay which so was in, incredibly uh, incredibly homogenous when i went there yeah right? like it yeah. was like hey everybody so, looks so like me so what you're what uh, okay so i don't want to know you don't have to tell me your age if you don't want to oh no that's all right i graduated 2007 so so check this out right okay you're gonna laugh here your principal at that time earl costi yeah my principal at west wally really yeah so he brought all your staff members glenn sandy all those guys that uh came across miss jones oh. uh mr penner all those guys yeah. they came when costi got the opportunity to open Clayton, he brought like six or seven of those teachers, younger teachers from West Wally, over to Clayton Heights. And yeah, so, it, yeah uh, it was a good crew. I mean, I, I really, yeah. education can really, you know, it can make or break somebody for a long time, I, I, I feel. Yeah. And, and the teachers yeah. that were there that I had, my experiences were very positive. Right, right. But yeah. I, I don't know if it was the same for you or. Well, we were at West Wally, right? So their, their experiences, and they would probably tell you, uh, which was probably the case, you know, it was uh, inner city school for sure, mm -hmm. right? Like a junior secondary and, and, and um, not a whole lot of money and kids, you know, some of those teachers that I mentioned there did a really good job uh, creating community and opening the gym for us so that we could, you know, stay out of trouble, right? There were others in, that are still there that I would sit back and say like, man, you know, I wrote about them in my, my master's thesis Right. When I did my master's about anti-racism, I, I, you know, some of them were the examples there where I was right. sitting back going, you didn't realize this, but this had this harmful impact on me. And so I want to change that for all 
you know, uh, students of color coming up. Right? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you see the world, it's just, yeah. world, it's a small world. We, you know, like, like ships passing in the night. You don't know. Well, actually, this is crazy. So uh, Marcel, I was talking to him and we were watching the inauguration. Yeah. And his uncle, I don't want to get this wrong. I think it's his uncle is a pastor in the States. And okay. he's met, his uncle's like met Michelle Obama. That's crazy. Like to quite some extent. And you're like, whoa, man, that's so crazy how I know somebody who knows somebody that close. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Obamas are, that's black, that's black power right there. Right. Like that, they, absolutely. Um, and, and, and people argue, right. Like they are, um, they are the ideal black family in the sense, right. Like, upper middle class they you know they work through all this stuff mm. and that that's what we need to strive to be and I, i'm always cognizant that when i say you know things like black power families and stuff like that that i'm not discrediting you know families that didn't receive the same opportunities as the obamas right because uh the example i'll, I'll give you is amanda gorman awesome at the inauguration beautiful yes the uh, poet speech, right yeah beautiful yeah. poet uh and, and super smart and 21 years old, I think. Yeah, she is. 20, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Right. Um, has overcome so many adversity, you know, she dyslexia, all these other things that she's had to overcome. Um, and I hear all these people, you know, giving her all this credit, and she deserves it. She it was a beautiful piece. I just worry that people are putting her on this pedestal and, and expecting all other black youth moral suasion. You know what I mean? Exactly, right? Yeah. And so I worry, I, I I was having this conversation with my principal the other day. I was just like, yeah, she was beautiful. And I was happy. I was in tears, black girl power, black girl magic, like amazing stuff. Right. How do we give our students opportunities to be able to get to, to that without making them feel that that's where they need to be? You know what I mean? Like I just need to give them opportunities to find themselves and it doesn't need to be athletics all the time or, or music all the time or yeah. acting. Like it needs to be something where think about yourself. Totally. Right. You know what I mean? You, so, you found your call because that's what teaching is. Yeah. You know, and if you don't, if you think it's an occupation, you might be a shitty teacher, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a calling, right? <laughs> it is. It and is. you found that calling and how empowering that is. And again, because it's funny, whenever I'm reading something, I'm always like, oh, this just fits so nicely in what I'm saying. But that's what Charlemagne talks about. He wanted to be a rapper. He wanted yeah. to follow into that sort of archetypical okay this is success this is how everybody's this is what everybody that looks like me is doing to be successful mm -hmm. and he and he and he started rapping he was like dude i suck at this but then he got into radio because somebody said hey man like you are really good at radio and the whole time yeah. he's like i'm gonna do radio so i can be a rapper and then he finally just realized what am i doing i'm i'm fighting against what i'm good at totally right and we all have that thing that we're good at and i think that when we get into that we live happier lives but when we're not i you know and i see this all the time but often what i find that i'm critical of in others is deeply something that's just a reflection of myself right right like when yeah, why is why is that guy doing that shit all the time like why is he always partying yeah uh or, you know or, or oh it's because i wish i could be doing that or you know what i mean right so right. And, 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 and it ties into this idea of anti-racism. It's, we can't just expect, you know, everybody to just figure it out. We have to figure it out on our own individual level.
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's part of this journey. And then when you get there, people see what you're doing, and that is what influences them to, you know, follow in their own footsteps. Like, what's that guy doing, right? Mm. Why is he able to live a, a happier life? You know, you are the example, but you have to be following your life, just like what you did. Totally, totally. I, I mean, for me, um, to kind of connect to that, like following following the path. So um, during my PDP, and, and this is going to kind of bring this whole anti-racism piece for me together. So during my PDP, um, there was a there was an educator. I walked into the lunchroom at, at the uh, school I did my practicum at, and uh, walked into the lunchroom. There's no other seats in the, you know, uh, my, my PDP colleagues are sitting at this table. There's no other seats there. I, I should have just grabbed a chair and sat with them, but I, I'm a pretty outgoing guy. I knew, I knew a lot of people on staff already. I'd done some coaching at the school, so people kind of knew me. I felt at home at the school, and, and so I walked in. I saw the seat by this teacher, and I went and I sat down beside this this older dude, and he looks at me and he goes, hey, you can't sit beside me. You're the wrong color. And starts to laugh. What? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So I don't want to rock the boat with anybody, right? Like, I'm just like, okay, cool. Like, yeah. grab my, I, I, at that point, I pick up my chair and I go sit down uh, with my colleagues. And uh, yeah. nobody, nobody says anything about it. So I'm like, head down. It's cool. I'm not even feeling confident enough because it, it's my PDP, right? Like, I don't want to rock the boat to, to get into anything, but uh, that was on a Friday. So the Sunday, um, my, one of my colleagues wrote about it in her reflection that she had seen this, this racist interaction take place. So, so other think, people, and sorry, to, sorry to catch you up. So other yeah. people saw and heard this. Heard that. Yeah. So the whole staff room heard it. Nobody said anything. No, no other teacher colleagues said anything, but one of my PDP colleagues, she, or student teacher colleagues, she wrote it about it in her, her reflection. Right. And uh, so SFU, I get this phone call Sunday night at like 10 p.m. to SFU, like guns blazing. We're going in tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, my God, like I'm, I'm nervous. Right. Because this is my practicum. Like I need like I, I just want to pass. I just want to pass. Yeah. And um, so SFU came in and, and you know what? To be honest, there were a couple little conversations that, that took place with my understanding with the principal and with that educator as well. And and no drama um except for about two weeks later he walk into my car and he comes out and he goes why would you go complain about that i was like excuse me like it's seven o'clock at night i'm coming out of practice i don't even know what you're doing here and now you're like coming up to me up behind my back at a car like i was ready to fight somebody like was you know, he wait was he waiting for you i, I don't even know but yeah. it seemed like it was the perfect time for him like he yeah like maybe he waited all day to go like this is my moment to talk to him and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, yo, listen, I didn't say anything. One of my colleagues did, um, but you know, you probably shouldn't have said that, right? And it was a weird conversation and he, he threw the BCTF code of ethics at me and goes, you know, you have to talk colleague to colleague first. But at this point, I'm a student teacher. There's no BCTF code yeah. of ethics for me at this point. And so I found out after the fact, after I got hired in Surrey, that my, my practicum supervisor uh, or a faculty associate from SFU, uh, Tony, that Tony uh, received, a, a, I, I want to say, a letter from the BCTF saying, hey, what happened with this person? It should have been colleague to colleague. This person wants to sit down and have a mediation about right. it. And Tony Tony was living. He was like, you, you guys are social justice 
union. Yeah. And you're supporting a racist? Like, yeah. What are we talking about? And so he, Tony did some some work. He, him and uh, I think there was a, a, another um, mediator from SFU that that had to go through that conversation. I guess for Tony's piece, professionally, it was good that the conversation took place or whatever. But he was questioned about his pro, his due process in having to go talk to the, the the person code of ethics style. And Tony's like, listen, guy made a racist comment to a student teacher. And you guys are kind of like, we need to go through process. No, the process is you need to be talking to him. And so after I, after I talked to Tony about that, it just kind of clicked for me, man. Like as a young black educator, I'm going to face stuff all the time. I, I remember it in school and I, I'm just not going to take it anymore. So luckily hey. at Kiwi, never really faced anything, didn't face anything at North Surrey. And then I, I get to Panorama and I was at Panorama Ridge for, uh, you know, eight years or whatever. And, and Panorama was a great school. And um, during that time, uh, met some really cool people. Now, there were some, some stuff that happened at my time at Panorama, and I, I won't say too much about it, but, you know, I, I can say I've seen teachers show up in blackface. I, I can say, um, you know, I've seen uh, teachers make some really serious racist comments to kids or whatever, mm -hmm. and, and it's there where you start to find your voice. Right? right? Like, why are you wearing blackface? Like, you know, that's racist, right? You know what I mean? Um, why did you say that? What do you mean by that? You know, that's racist, right? And so then I, I was able to teach uh, a social justice class. And, and I went from one block of social justice. Uh, you know, I guess I might have been spitting fire, as you say, um, or, or, or learning the kids. And uh, I went from teaching one block to having like five blocks of social justice. Because yeah. the, the kids were like, dude, you got to get Mr. Hadley. You got to take his class. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. it was good stuff. And so then we, about my fourth year in, or third year in, we got a VP, a new VP from Burnaby. And again, you're going to laugh at this. Um, Trinidadian lady by the oh. name of Beth Applewhite. And yeah. I know Beth because her dad played in my steel drum band when I was with my dad when I was a little kid. So Beth comes in and she's been doing this anti-racism stuff forever mm -hmm. and and she took a group she's somebody you need to talk to at some point she Absolutely. was the other present she was the other presenter yes. with yeah, yeah. Yeah. and so um beth took a group of kids uh down to chicago for the inauguration of barack obama and and stuff like that she's she kind of created the first black student unions across uh bc in, in burnaby school district and stuff she's currently the district vice principal of uh equity diversity and inclusion with a portfolio of anti-racism which is awesome work for her i'm so happy she's able to have that position um but uh started doing some work with beth and um you know you know, trying to get black youth to come out to symposiums and stuff. Uh, you know, we did a couple symposiums at Johnson Heights after she left Panorama. Uh, then, you know, hooked up with Lynn Daniels, uh, who's the director of instruction for Aboriginal education in Surrey. And Lynn wanted to do some anti-racism stuff as well, uh, indigenous black anti-racism stuff. And so uh, we started creating symposiums back in 2005. Uh, or no, 2015, sorry. And it's been five or six years of them, of kids every March coming in to talk about uh, cross-cultural connections and, and issues of race. And so that's how I kind of got in uh, over the last six years, really doing the work right. with kids. 
Um, you know, 2014, I finished my master's. It was in integrating cultural narratives in the classroom because I felt like if students could see themselves in the curriculum, you know, some more representation from Absolutely. their cultures or their stories, uh, they would feel more connected. And it worked well with the BC curriculum change that was happening as well uh, that focused on, you know, um, the core competencies of cultural identity and, and so forth. So uh, there was just kind of this perfect storm moving together social justice classes, masters in anti-racism, creating these symposiums um, that, you know, we get up to to May, right, with, with George Floyd or April May there. Um, and, and in Canada, you have Chantel Moore, who's Indigenous woman that, that was killed as well. Um, and I'm sitting at my job, even as a vice principal in Maple Ridge, after I left Surrey to become a vice principal in Maple Ridge, I've seen some racism there too, um, you know, and, and so you sit back and George Floyd, you watch it for eight minutes and 42 seconds and you sit back and you go, this man's life, right? And, and, and you got symbolically yes. or, or, or uh, yeah, symbolically what you have is a white knee on a black man's neck and symbolically it's like holding him down. And, you know, Trayvon Martin, like, that was outrage. Um, you know, Mr. Brown in, in, um, in Missouri, outrage, right? You have all these other deaths that are happening, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, right? But George Floyd is because you, you saw it. Like, I mean, you, you can see the video of Ahmaud Arbery. You don't really see anything about Breonna Taylor. But George Floyd, for eight minutes and 42 seconds, this, yeah. this black man is not fighting back. And he's being held down by the system. So add to that Corona, everybody's upset, right? And, and so awesome to see the social movements across the world. Because what we start talking about is something that I think people tend to forget. And it's an observation of mine, Rob, and I may be wrong, but I think a lot of black people will feel this way. You, we could talk about all types of racism, right? But no matter where you go, indigenous and black people, are always at the bottom of that societal ladder for some reason. Um, and, and I have interactions with Indo-Canadian people and they're super supportive and so forth. Some, some in, I shouldn't generalize all of them, but growing up playing sports with them, you're a good athlete, they might like you, but they always let you know that you were a Kalu or you weren't one of them, right? You know what I mean? Um, and so I think worldwide that anti-black piece came together, right? You got, uh, you know, black indigenous people in uh, the Caribbean that are going, hey, that's, that's us. Like, you, you know, people have come, they've taken over our land, that we're part of this dominant culture, we don't have a voice. So you get to see it worldwide. So I'm sitting in my office one day and I'm like, man, my school district needs to do something about this. They got to do something. So buddy of mine, Carl Lindgren-Striker, who's a VP as well, uh, he's from the States but came up here, uh, married his, his wife and came up here. Uh, Carl reaches out to me, he goes, Ken, man, like, I feel like we need to do something. And I'm like, yeah, man, we got to do something. So we crafted this email to our, um, our superintendent, pretty much, you need to make a statement. And she, she wrote back and she was like, I do, right? So that was kind of the first step, like, hey, we need to do something district-wide. We need to make a statement. We're educators. We're educators. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we should be leaving the forefront of this. Totally. Totally. Right? right? And so um, in that 
letter there were like this is some of the things the district's doing currently but these are th some of those things that we need to do and she was the first administrator in the province to make a, a formal declaration um other districts had maybe tweeted something but a formal letter to their school districts sylvia russell was one of the first from what i understand from searching everywhere i didn't see it anywhere else um and so she did that and 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 then we started to have conversations with the district of things that we could change. So we were able to create uh, an anti-racism kind of ad hoc uh, group right now. I, I, I should say a, a cohort of educators that are talking about anti-racism um, and starting to create a path to have discussions about anti-racism in Maple Ridge. Uh, but at the same time, uh, a lot of people had already known Beth and I from some of the work we were doing. So a lot of retails, right? So uh, some of the first places that reached out to us was UBC. Can you come talk to our student teachers? You black administrators and educators, can you come talk to our student teachers? So went, did that in July. Then the Burnaby School District, they opened, they, they, Beth was lucky enough to, um, you know, apply for a position for, you know, district uh, vice principal of equity, diversity and inclusion. She was successful in getting the position. So now she's not a, a school level admin, she's a district level admin with a little bit more say. And so they needed her to do some presentations to the board, um, to the trustees and to all admin. So spent most of the summer doing that with her. Vancouver School Board. Um, I put out a tweet back in, uh, I think it was like early August, just as we found out we were going into quarter systems and all this stuff. Yeah. I put out a tweet, uh, like kind of a call of action, like, Hey, all BC administrators, let's do it. Let's do the work. Put an anti-racism goal in your professional growth plan. So that landed, you know, it got some, it got some play and, and uh, you know, some retweets and some love. And so what happened was uh, Vancouver School Board superintendent saw it was like, we need to talk to this, this young man. Um, and so Beth uh, James, who's a vice principal at uh, Burnaby South and I, we've been working with the Vancouver School Board again, did presentations to their trustees, uh, their their admin teams, and now we're walking their admin teams through doing uh, professional growth plans. Because I'm, I'm sitting back saying, like, if the districts aren't putting out mission statements, if they're mm -hmm. not doing the work, then how are we going to do this, right? And so... We can't um, wait for somebody to do this. You know, we have to do it now. we got to do right. it, right? And so we've been lucky enough... And who better than than me kind of thing, right? Well, and... Oh, well, and then know, us. Then us. Then us, yes. Right, yeah. but, but for me, like, if there's other people out there doing the work, I'm here to support, right? Like I, I it's not, because I think sometimes even in within our own community, sometimes there's this like, you know, echelon, like who needs to go where and, right. and what? It's, it's not about that for me. It's, it's sitting back and looking at my four boys and going, mm -hmm. I hope they don't have to face the stuff that I faced, yeah. right? And, and technically speaking, they probably won't because they are lucky enough to, um, I shouldn't say lucky enough, that's not the word their skin tone is lighter, which allows them to have a little bit more privilege, right? See how I had to yeah. rethink that? Because a lot of people go, oh, the lighter skin, that's better or whatever. And we, we you know, Colorism. We fight, yeah, we fight that. Colorism, right? so, yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I had a guy on my podcast. He's from, you know, Western Africa. And he was, he was saying things to the effect of like, oh yeah, you know, those girls are beautiful. They're not like the Sudanese girls. Yeah. And because they're darker, right? Yeah, and that just went over my head, and a friend of mine had to say, "Like, hey, man, you should you should have asked him like what he meant by that." Yeah, totally. but for but for me, I'm like, I, you know, again, going back to my own learning process, 
yeah what's colorism right but then you look at places like haiti and the dominican republic right yeah so. yeah right and, and you know like even if you connect it to american slavery right the darker yes. you were you were out in the field right and, and uh you know the ideal of beauty that you see um across the dominant culture is usually lighter skin lighter eyes and that's not that's not just a hitler thing that's happened yeah. even before them right you know caste system in india had that uh the caribbean had that right because yeah. you you want to be as close to the people in power because it gives you power mm-hmm. right um or they accept you <laughs> into that group you know what i mean and so um at the end of the day yeah like it's for it's for it's for the kids that's why i keep telling people like so the work that i the work that we're doing right now is a lot of um in my district as well in maple ridge we have a group of uh our principals and vice principals we meet once a month to talk about things like uh white privilege and white supremacy culture um and how we can navigate that language and 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 stuff in our schools um and trying to get people to to own up to the work that needs to be done right because it's 300 years getting here in North America, right? And so we need, we need, to, it's going to take some time to get it dealt with, right? But and try, I don't want to say, I don't even want to say reform. I, I want to say, uh, you know, Dr. Bettina Love uh, uses this word of, you know, freedom dreaming or, or reimagining, right? We need to reimagine this whole system yeah. again. And, and so if I could help in, in some little way by having conversations with administrator colleagues or educator colleagues, um, you know, let's, let's, let's have that conversation. So also at my school, I have two vice principals, uh, or no, one vice principal, and my principal, uh, on my admin team who've jumped on board, they've done the reading, they're doing the readings. Um, and so every week we send out our, our weekly newsletter to our staff and there's an anti-racism goal or, or discussion piece. Um, you know, at our staff meetings, we're talking about anti-racism, um, you know, we decided as a team that that's what we needed to do to get this conversation going. So as I walk through my school now, I'm hearing teachers are sending me emails about, oh, I read this about intersectionality and white privilege and, and all this stuff. And, you know, they're, they're starting to engage. Uh, we were able to have a really successful show going in Maple Ridge for Black Shirt Day. You know, my staff all showed up in black shirts. They were ready to go. Um, you know, literally, people could call that tokenism in a little bit as well, right? And and I can see that, but people are trying. And that's, that's yes. what I'm asking for yeah. um, at this point is just to engage in the conversation. So the last, I'm not going to lie, the last seven months has been crazy, man. And, and it's, uh, you know, pre- like presenting in Surrey and other districts, presented in North Van for a couple schools and stuff. It's crazy. Um, love doing the work, but it's hard to do the work off the side of your desk, right? Because I have this job that I have to do. Yeah. And then everybody's asking me to do all this other work um, or, or you're pushing to do all this other work. And, and so, you know, I, I always have to remind myself, like, my family comes first, right? Yeah. And, and so... Your well-being. Yeah, totally. This is, this, this is exhausting. I can, is. I can only... Like, I, I, I had a funny conversation with... Uh, marcel about this and it was like dude like this conversation has been exhausting and he's like well yeah how, how do you think i feel and it's like yeah no doubt right yeah yeah hey, i, I want to give you some credit though man you you knew your stuff man like you were bringing up some stuff there that i was like okay 
Rob's doing the work. He's doing the readings, and and I appreciate that. Like I, I honestly mean that. That's why it was easy for me to come on and talk with oh. you. I'm sitting back going, this guy, he's gonna he's gonna throw some stuff at me. That's it's gonna be some good knowledge, right? So no, it's good. It's good. So that, yeah, that's how that's how I've gotten to where I'm at right now. Right. Um, you know, to be honest, man, I think every district should have, if if I'm being honest, should have a position like this. I, I'm not saying they need yeah. to hire me or whoever. Um, but they should have positions looking at, you know, racism in their school districts, right? Because we have them, right? We have it. And, and, and this is the big thing for me. Like, we are educators, right? You, you measure the, and, you know, I, sometimes I say crazy things, so always please correct me. But you measure the worth of a, of a nation on its education system, okay. right? The mm-hmm. quality of its education. Right. And going back to your experiences, right, to the experiences of, of, of others and how they felt, you know, othered in their education. Yeah. That's something that we need. We got we have to fix that problem. Right. That just oh. shouldn't happen. No. You know, why? Why are indigenous youth, you know, not getting the education that they receive? Meanwhile, we're in Afghanistan. Right. Fighting right. wars there. Yeah. And yeah, there's places yeah, in, yeah. Free, in freedom, freedom in other places, right? We're fighting yeah, freedom yeah. in other places. Which, which, if you don't think there's some sort of uh, like, obviously, we're getting something out of being there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not out of the, the the moral Christian goodness of our hearts, <laughs> right? But right. education, that is. Imagine, imagine if everybody had. And here's another tangent I'm going on. But post secondary education, university. Imagine if that was available for everybody. How much that would change everything. Right, right, dude. Yeah, Post secondary education is like the biggest business in the world. It is, it is, right? and, and and you're so right. Like if everybody had equitable access, right, it would it would change it would it would change everything that we do, right? Because yeah. you'd have more people at the table, right? And that's what that's that's what I'm asking. I think the most from yes. everybody is to have more people at the table, right? Because at the end of the day, like you know, there was a group of people, the dominant culture. Who, who created the, the the structures that we play in. Yeah, the powers and, that be. And, and we've got to change that a little bit, right? So having, you know, you look at our government, right? Uh, it's funny, I, I listen um, to people talk about uh, politics, right? Mm. And, uh, you know, love Biden, love Harris. I'm like, well, yo, we, yeah. we got Jagmeet, right? Like Jagmeet yeah. Singh, he's... He's running some stuff, you know, are you voting for him? Well, you know, I don't like the, you know, the, the socioeconomic platform that the NDP runs on and blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, no, no, no. Yeah. There's more to that than that, right? Dude, yeah. that guy will cuss you out. You know what I mean? Like that guy, Jake Meat, uh, he's on, he's for, okay. I, I apologize. This is me on Canadian politics, but Justin Trudeau is, uh, he's, uh, he's a people pleaser. Uh-huh. And there's okay. something about people pleasing. You're, you're, everybody's always going to get pissed off. Whereas Jake Meat, he's like, "Hey, we got to figure out what's going on in, with our indigenous communities, yeah. right? These these are our fellow citizens, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're yeah. they're they're living in abject poverty. Yeah. Why are you looking at this when this is happening, right? Totally. totally. And yeah. and and for that, I'm like, dude, you have all my votes. I only have yeah. one, but you have all my votes. <laughs> It, for me, it's like, you know, why don't we change what Canada's used to having, right? Like, we've had, you know, 
white male leaders. We had we had a female leader, right? For, um, for, for three months, yeah. For Kim three Campbell. months, right? Kim Campbell, that's right. Um, but but Jagmeet, like, he's young, right? Everybody's looking around, right? He's young, he's, right? Uh, I think a lot of people are across Canada anyways look at, uh, you know, his skin tone. They probably look at his culture, a little bit his religion, and, and they question that. Uh, and that guy's super Canadian, right? He, he's a nationalist in, it, in its best. So for me, it's like, you know, if we don't want to be like America, if we, if we, you know, push ourselves to be better than them and we, we pride ourselves that we're not them, then let's vote this guy in and see what he does, right? Because he's going to be about racial equity. He's go- he, he is, you know, I, I think for me, um, my biggest thing is when people say they're one thing and they're not, or, or they, they show themselves not to be, right? So you got somebody in power who's like, I'm this, this, and this. But then when situations come into play where they need to show that, they don't show it. And you're like, okay, I know I know where you stand on this, right? You're the people pleaser or whatever, right? So I'm always worried about that when we talk about stuff with politics. But for the most part, like, as I said, Jagmeet, I, I see him doing some great work. Um, you know, there are a lot of a lot of young educators like yourself and, and um, a lot of young black educators across Canada that are doing some amazing things. I mean, I, I think Marcel shared with you, there's this black educators group yeah. uh, that, you know, we meet once a month. Uh, it's, it's a racial affinity group and we get to, you know, just kind of talk about what we're experiencing and, and what we're seeing out there. And it's great because we were able to, it, it was a teacher in Maple Ridge who, who started that. Her name's Heidi. Heidi came up, she, she reached out to me and said, Hey, I want to do this Juneteenth um, pro D uh, do you know a lot of black educators from other districts? I was like, yeah, Heidi worked with me at my school for a little bit. And, and then she moved on to another school. So, you know, between Marcel, myself, uh, Beth, uh, Heidi herself, we were able to grab about, you know, 20 for the first meeting. Um, and then from that kind of first discussion, it was like, okay, what, what was the avenue we wanted the group to be? And the group decided they wanted to meet um, all the time. And Heidi's really good at that. Like she'll say, you know, I brought the group together, but it's the group space. And so in that sense, you know, the group meets once a month and we kind of talk about stuff and it's a good support group because a lot of people are facing a lot of stuff and they don't know who to talk to. Right. And so, yeah. And, And not to share anybody's story, but, um, I know, I know of educators, they're black and maybe they're the only one in their school, you know, that's, that's black, right? yeah. and then and then you have things that are going on you know globally like in the states and they walk up to to this individual and they think that they're almost like ambassadors or representatives of the black experience totally you know and it's like oh that's really crazy what's happening in the states aren't you happy that you're here and yeah. it's like whoa you know yeah. uh, right I don't, but, I don't need to engage in that conversation but that's yeah. the education right so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's just thinking like, man, that, that, would be, that, that would be frustrating, right? So having a group where you can debrief about that, mm-hmm. I myself as a counselor, you know, mm-hmm. different, but perhaps a parallel here. I'm the only counselor in my school and I serve two different schools. And the mm-hmm. things that I deal with are, you know, they're exhausting. And it's like, well, who do I have to kind of like help me see through this? I don't really have other teachers, Right. So anytime you can bring a group together in counseling, you know, you can do one-on-one, right? Right. And it's like you meet with the the therapist and you talk about all your problems, you know, or all the things you're going through. And that's great. But then you get into things like group work and you realize, Hey man, I'm not the only person who's going through this. 
totally. and what you can pick off their experiences and so forth. And there's that community, right? Yeah. And that's what we need to, you know, moving forward is yes, there's this individual pursuit of, I need to educate myself. I've got to be better than, you know, I'm always building on what I once was, but then again, there's that community aspect of together we're stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what that space gives us, right? Like it, it allows us to, to, as I said, just kind of bounce ideas, but also you, you get that kind of energy and support yes. from each other, right? Like we're going yeah. through the same thing or, Hey, this experience is a little bit different. Can anybody give me some advice? Have you seen this before? And so for a cool space, like there's a lot of positive things going on. Um, a lot of negatives as well, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, you get pushback, right. When you're yeah. doing this work and you're, challenging people's lived experience right you know there are a lot of people that like i said don't believe in white privilege there are a lot of people um that don't believe white supremacy culture is a thing and as you're having these conversations they push back i'm okay with the pushback because i've had the opportunity to have many conversations and present and do that stuff so in that group that's the goal right Uh, one of the goals is try to to support our, our other black educators when they are faced with those situations, like how do we respond appropriately and whether whatever appropriately means, but how do we respond in the right way? Because um, right. you, you never want to get to that point in any of these conversations where it's fight or flight, right? Yeah. You want to, but you want to make people sit in that discomfort for a bit and, and have that, have that courageous piece to be in that discomfort with them as they work through that. Right. So let's, let's talk about that for a sec, because that's, that's a really good point. You don't want to, you know, like like uh, force an upheaval of the cancer, the mm-hmm. cancerous thought in a person. You almost yeah. want them to kind of come to it. But I've I've been at a few of these meetings, yeah. And and you don't have to speak to this, mm-hmm. but I sometimes think like, oh, why does this person have to get the last word? You know, like wonderful wonderful conclusion, and then it's like. Oh, you know, I, I feel so refreshed and, you know, I've learned so, and it's like, oh my God, like, why does this, it's always a white woman. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, why? And then you read about uh, in, in white fragility and in uh, why I'm no longer talking to black people about race, the dangers that have been associated with white women. <laughs> right. Yeah. I won't yeah. let you speak to that. I don't want to put you in a weird place. No, it's, it's good, man. No, yeah. I can talk. I, uh, it's the work we're doing. Um, you know, uh, I, I actually spent a lot of time, like you, you know, White Fragility, uh, Robin D'Angelo. Uh, you know, she's done some great work, right? And, and, and um, I see a lot, like, Black feminists have talked about what you're talking yes. about for years, right? That feminism, when it first started, wasn't for Black women yeah. at all. Feminism yeah. was a white middle class piece right um and it was about the struggle and the oppression of you know white middle class women wanting equality of pay and jobs and so forth and it just so happened that hey if you're a woman you can fall in here but then you had like you know now the the, you know the bettina loves but back then the bell hooks right the kimberly crenshaws Mm. uh peggy uh no patricia hill collins you you got you had black women that were saying hey this isn't this isn't right like we we need a voice in this right like we're not in, in in the wheel of intersectionality. These were uh, not just black cisgendered feminists. These were these were black women who would be LGBTQ 
to to a two plus right and, and so you sit back and you go they're sitting back saying like hey our voice isn't being heard yeah um and so they start talking about this right and and so as we even for myself as we go into these presentations you always have to sit back and go you know where is that last comment coming from? yeah yeah you know what i mean yeah like, yeah because i, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt right in the sense but a lot of times it's it's rehoarding that power right and and if you ever get a chance wow yeah yeah, yeah. if you ever get a chance there's a man by the name of um i'm, I'm gonna i hope you sit back and, and we sit back and listen to this because i'm throwing people at you but there, there's a guy by the name of joe trust who's an administrator down in uh, San Diego. Joe Trust? Yeah, Joe Trust, T-R-U-S-S. Um, I did a workshop with him. Uh, I sat in, uh, as an attendee. I, I was in a, a couple of his workshops, actually. And he, when he goes through white supremacy culture, there are 15 characteristics. Uh, Tema Okun, and I forgot the other guy's name, uh, that came up with these 15 characteristics back in like 2000, 2001 for white, uh, white supremacy culture. And power hoarding is one of them. Mm. and and what you see at you know district tables and in when we're in these conversations is that uh people think because they have you know they're they're the big paycheck they are the person with ceo beside their name that they get to make the decisions all the time and and we want to we want to spread that out right because if, mm -hmm. if you only have other people who believe in white supremacy culture um or who live that experience uh you know fish in water right your values and decisions are all going to be the same. You need some diversity to come in and say, hey, I'm going to challenge you on that. We need to look at this a little bit differently. And so, you know, even when we present, you kind of feel that you're like, hey, thank you for that. Thank you for your perspective. And yes, we have a lot of work to do, but oh, I feel so much better. And I'm like, well, what do you feel better about? Do you feel better that you had Beth and I or whoever and I present for two hours? Now you've done your anti-racism work. Mm -hmm. Like where, where is that phrase coming from and why can't we sit in the discomfort of this was a bit of an uncomfortable presentation because that piece makes people think right when people are in that uncomfortable space i want people to after our presentations man, i want people to sit in their car driving home and go oh man like that's a good point you know um as an administrator do i actually invite other people of color into my my conversations when i'm making decisions about you know students and, and 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 you know discipline and so forth and then you know did i did i reach out to the ab, ab ed support worker or the the uh, aboriginal teacher at my school when i was dealing with that student who has ancestry you know to give me some insight or to at least support the kid and the family as we go through whatever process we have to go through um you start having these questions and then you start even asking more questions along the lines of like who are my friends who do i hang out with yeah um are our values the same all the time. Do I have people of, you know, different backgrounds and, uh, you know, a diverse group of friends to help check my privilege? And, and a lot of times, like a lot of people won't, right? Like when I look at some of the people uh, that, that I've worked with throughout my career, I know once they leave school, they might be in a diverse community at school, but once they leave school, they're going to their neighborhood yes. where everybody looks the same. Everybody has the same values. Echo chambers. Echo chambers, right? Yeah. So cultural happens, echo chambers. Exactly. I think yeah. we should trademark that. I, I, I like that. Cultural <laughs> echo chamber, right? So once they get there, um, they totally forget about this piece until they come to school the next day. Right? And then, and, and if you don't think that they're talking about things of the world, then come on. 
you know. Right? I was I was born I was born yesterday, but I was up all night, right? Like, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not yeah. mine either. That's Paul Mooney. But okay, yeah, we'll keep. We'll, yeah, yeah. We'll keep. I, At least you cited him. You cited him. It's all yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. But but <laughs> I but I've noticed in my own like you know I I love my family, and uh, I used to always like just sit and listen and like you know I have nothing to say. Just go ahead, right? And everybody's got that uncle who says some crazy stuff and you're like, okay, but you don't challenge it. And now as I'm, 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 you know, like I say, I'm reading, I'm sitting down. I feel like I'm gaining the courage to challenge things. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's huge. And, and for, for, uh, BIPOC and racialized people, it's huge that you, you take that role on, you know what I mean? Cause I, I, but it's not perfect. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes. It'll yeah, never yeah. be, man. Like, honestly, there are times, um, even in, in the group from, from Maple Ridge, so there's four of us that kind of work together um, in planning some of the anti-racism stuff. And, and so it's Grant, who's a principal of uh, Thomas Haney. I, I don't even know if I should be saying names or not. But oh, yeah, yeah. It's all good people, you know? Uh, yeah, that's right. Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's a principal. Of Nobody's Thomas. in trouble. Nobody's in trouble. <laughs> um, Carl, who's at Westview. Uh, and and Wayne Chow, who's at Thomas Haney as a VP, mm-hmm. the four of us kind of plan our stuff together, and uh, we we call each other all the time, and we're like, "Hey, man, this happened. I don't think I did enough here, or yeah. I didn't stand up at this point." And you're always like, "Oh, when was the right time? When is the right time?" And sometimes it's just coming back together and going, "You know, hey, you really should say something. Okay, I'll say something tomorrow when I see that person, right?" But but the fact that I have um, you know two other uh, white co-conspirators, right? Not allies, right? You know, mm. co-conspirators, people that are willing to get in and do the work with me, alongside me. Um, it's awesome because sometimes we're in meetings and people say stuff, and I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna have to take that on. And in my, I'm not, I'm not up for it, right? Like, I'm, my body's like, you hear the comment or somebody says something, and you're like, oh, yeah. After all this work we're doing, yeah. Oh, and and, and they go, we got you, Ken. Yeah, and they jump in, right? And, and so, um, when you surround yourselves with co-conspirators, people that are willing to get in the dirty in the mud yeah. with you, or, or or to do the dirty work with you, um, that re-energizes people. And and uh, you know, I, I used to um, when all this kind of started back in May. I mean, it, it's going on for years. Like we can talk about blackface back in the 1930s. We could po- talk about you know uh, Emmett Till's death and what that caused you know, in the terms of, you know, um, Rosa Parks saying, I'm going to be a, right? Because when we think of Rosa Parks, we think of Rosa Parks as this like little feebly old lady who wants to sit on the bus when really she was an activist, right? If you read uh, Martin Luther King Jr. stuff, like he he talks a lot about white supremacy culture in his first writings as he was coming out, right? You you know, Malcolm X, uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, Farrakhan. Like you go through, there are people that have been doing, James Baldwin, you got people that have been doing this fight, Angela Davis, Bell Hooks, like I'm calling all these theorists that have been doing this fight for years, right? But right now, when all this was going on, there was a comment that used to bother me at the beginning and I had to work myself through it. It was like, hey, it's not up to black and racialized people to tear down the system or to change the system. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not up to us? Like, it's about us. Like, we need, we need to do that. And I, was, I even get angry about it because I was like, oh, man, this is white supremacy culture as well. So there's this problem. And now the we only gotta people, do it. We gotta know, do the it. only people yeah. I got to do is white people convince it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I struggled with that a little bit, right? And, and as I watch my colleagues and, and my people's 
you know, like you, uh, walk through these conversations and, and get into spaces that they've never been before, but want to be co-conspirators in those conversations. I'm like, oh, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. One, it's hard to do this journey alone as you know, it's exhausting. Right. But, but two, really at the end of the day, you're now becoming fish out of water like us. And so when you start to see things differently, there are more voices calling supremacy culture out. Right. And we need that, right? right. It's not, I, I don't sit back and think that it's going to be, um, you know, the white CEO of a company that changes everything, right? That person's going to have to learn from people of color as they go through that because by right, when they're in the water, they're going to default back to those characteristics of white right. supremacy culture. So we all need to be doing this work together so we can call each other out sometimes. You know, I, and, and I'm very fortunate that uh, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing who's really my friend. Right. And a true friend will be completely honest with you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and what's, what's hard with this is these conversations are recorded. So, you know, granted, yeah. I'm going to drop the ball, right? right. And, and I have a few <laughs> times. And, and I have a buddy, and he's like, dude, what the, what the fuck was that? Right? And I'm like... I, I'm sorry. And then, and then it's like, he's like, and, and this is what I love about that whole conversation. Cause I had to sit with it. Right. I had an option. I could just say, well, you know, forget what he's saying or listen. Yeah. Thankfully I chose listen. Right. And, yeah. and even in it, it was like, I, I could feel my own um, sort of the influences of white supremacist culture, which, which I actually wanted you to kind of explain that a little bit more because sure, sure. I kind of know what that is, but anyways, this idea of perfectionism, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and it was like, oh, I made a mistake. And like, I'm so sorry I let you down and all this like bullshit, right? Ooh. That's not what I'm after. That's not what he was after in his comment. It's about if you want to do better, you've got to be better. Totally. Right? Totally. And, and I just, most people, you know, and going back to this comment about, you know, who your real friends are, they're like, oh, yeah, that was great. And I loved it. It's like, yeah, but I, I actually want to know how I can be better. I want that honesty. I'm mature enough to take it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And then when you get it, and you're like, oh, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but there's something about honesty. And, and then there's another piece of, you talked about this, the white CEO that's like, we need to redo it. And really, it's like, are we creating equity in you know, our image or are we creating equity in the collective image, right? Totally. Going totally. back to, there's a movie out uh, about James Baldwin, a documentary. I haven't seen it, but it's, I'm not your Negro. Yeah. yeah. Meaning like, you know, I, I don't want to be the guy who's dressed up in a suit. Um, Frederick Douglass, amazing, amazing writer and thinker, totally. but he yeah. had to, he had to sort of, um, placate the liberals up up north right w.e.b like, like, dubois for most of his career yeah right and and i i cite his work all the time because the stuff that he was doing uh and and where he got to in a in a culture that wasn't gonna allow that to get there was, was super amazing but he he played into the system right and 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 sometimes you have to but was able to 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 you know and 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 this is the this is the true courageous part in my perspective of it he played that system but was able to change that system and i just finished uh one of my favorite comedians and philosophers paul mooney he's yeah. got a book black as a new white 
Right. And he talks about L.A. Hollywood in the 60s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to talk about racism, mm-hmm. right? But it was so um, hidden, right? But it just in his analogies of Frankenstein and Frankenstein being a black person, and he's, mm. he's made by Dr. Frankenstein, right? Yeah. All these yeah. parts in his image, and I've created this thing. Anyways, you got to read that book. It's like I will. super I, easy you. read. Okay. Yeah. But it yeah, just these things that I've been asleep to, mm-hmm. I'm starting to see. And it's like, I don't want to be the guy who's like, oh my God, look, right? And everybody's like, man, can you shut up, right? You don't want to be the crazy person. Yeah. I don't want to be, but at the same time, it's like, once you see it, mm-hmm. for me, it's like, I'm having a hard time unseeing it, if that and, makes and, sense. And that right there is, is awesome, right? Like, not being able to see it before and yeah. then having your eyes wide open. I, I kind of say that it's like, a lot of times when, when people are talking to me now, they're seeing me for the first time. Like, mm. really see me for the first time, right? right. They saw Kenny... Uh, or, or Ken back in the day uh, through a white supremacist lens, right? Yeah. And now that that lens has been taken out, you're seeing me for the first time. You're understanding uh, my experiences, right? Like my, I would say my in-laws never really said racist stuff um, in, in my experiences of being around them. Uh, they've, been, they've been really good, but I would never say that they weren't, you know, not racist. Like, do you know what I mean? Like they were, sure. as Kenny talks about, right? You know, not racist doesn't mean anti-racist. Yes. You know what I mean? And so um, it was, it's, it's been interesting as a family because as this stuff has been happening, they not necessarily coming and asking questions, but they're, you know, we're watching the Underground Railroad. We're watching this show. We're listening to this. We're doing this because they're trying to, they're in, in their respect or in their perspective, they're trying to understand what I've been saying for all these years. You know what I mean? They're starting to see me again for the first time and going, oh, that's, that's what you meant. Like, you know, we went to Disneyland and, and people always, it was funny in, in the presentation we did, there was a comment. Cause I, I think Beth used the comment about shopping, right? Like when she goes shopping, when she's with her black family, cause she's biracial, when she's with her black family, she has to worry about receipts and stuff because, you know, she's always worried somebody's going to pull them over and she won't be able. And then what happens, but with her white right. family, she never really worries about that. Right. And that's kind of, you know, her, her two perspectives. And I give the example of, of having, you know, biracial children And that like, you know, we travel and people question me all the time, right? And and, and somebody in the comments in the presentation said, well, though that happens to me too. Like, you know, they only, because my my husband and I are divorced and I have my kid and we don't have the same last name. They they question me and I go, yeah, they probably do. (laughs) Yours is not race-based, right? Like I get questioned all the time about the boys. People come up to me randomly in malls and stuff. Are those kids yours? Are you the what? biological father? Yeah, and you're sorry, like, sorry. you're like, what the like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we were in Disneyland um, two years ago. We love, I, you know what? And I, I'm really bad at this because here's my love for Disneyland. Um, we enjoy Disneyland, but I understand Disneyland is is a super or the 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 company, the umbrella of of Disney is super racist, right? Yeah. So the first time, first time we went to Disneyland, it doesn't get any more whiter than Disney. No, 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 right? And so the first time we went to um, Disneyland, uh, Christy's parents gave us a, a trip for Christmas. Um, they, they do trips with each members of the family. She's got two sisters, two other sisters. So it was our turn. And so uh, we go to Disneyland. 
I think it was the 60th anniversary of the first time we went. And we get there for spring break and this place is flying, right? Like you're like rides, the boys are happy or whatever. But we go down Splash Mountain. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right? right? And as we're going in Splash Mountain, I'm like, ha, huh, Song of the South, right? Like after yes. all these years, yeah. Disney still Zippity got Song of the like yeah. Z- right? And so you're going through and I'm explaining to my, my, my 10-year-old at the time, Nathaniel, I'm going, you know, this is, this is a bit, enjoy the ride. Here's some history. There's a little bit of racism. Look at the characters of these people or these uh, animals and, and so forth. And this is where the story comes from. And as I'm doing it, there are people in, in front of us on the same, because it was just me and him the first time that went on the ride. Uh, there are people in our, in our log together. And they're listening and they're going, we, we, never, we never knew that. Like, well, we get to the end of the ride and they go, oh my God, never, like, thank you, never knew, right? Go on the ride with my family and showing Christy and stuff. And she's like, oh my gosh, like, what the hell? And I'm like, okay, cool. So then we went on the Jungle Cruise. And I don't know if you've been to Disney in the Jungle Cruise, right? So you're sitting on the Jungle Cruise and the African people in the Jungle Cruise are savages. Right. Right? You're looking at it and you're going, huh. Okay, right? So then you go. That's and, that's the representation they want you to see of. Right. Not saying that that didn't exist, but that's, that's no, the representation no. they want you to see. Totally. And then not not like beautiful Africa of like Egypt and so forth, right? And and yeah, when you yeah. do do beautiful kings, or, right? Right. You yeah. know when you do do any ride that's close to that, let's say like the Indiana Jones ride, right? You're following this white guy through, you know, say- It belongs in a museum. It's like, actually it belongs where it's from, but anyways. Exactly, right? So, uh, you you know, you go through, it's a small world, right? You're sitting back going, oh my God, like look at all these, right? And so, um, you know, really good conversations with my family. I love Disney, love Disney, right? But really good conversations with my family about, you know, Princess and the Frog and, um, you know, why why black people always have to become animals in these mm-hmm. movies and, and stuff like that, right? Like even the last movie we watched, Soul, right? Jamie Foxx, the black character in in the movie, he switches or because he, he wants to get back to Earth or whatever. I don't want to ruin the, the, the plot for everybody. I haven't seen it yet. But, but, but I, he, yeah. he when you look at it, there's a switch that happens and you go, Well, why why is the better version of him not the black version? And just just kind of sit back and think about that for a second. Um, so yeah, like, but, but then the system is like, I love Disney for my kids. I love going to Disney because it makes me feel good. So there's this battle all the time. Right. Yeah. And when I was, when you're in university and you're doing, you know, sociology and, uh, post-modernism and all, and yeah, post-modern, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're always sitting there going, we need to break the system down, but I gotta, I gotta live within the system at some point too. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? And so, um, I think there are a lot of us, uh, not us, but a lot of black educators, um, and, and people historically like the Dubois, like W.E.B. Dubois, a lot of people love his work. He talked about eugenics as well, right? Like, he talked about, you know, the talented 10th, right? Like, there's a small group of black people that were like him, Mm. educated and smart. And those people, great. But people below that in the black community shouldn't have kids, right? Like, there's stuff in there where he he went through that journey as well. So um, I I think that as as we navigate through all this whatever all this is right now mm-hmm. um that a lot of people there's just so much so much learning we have to do and 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 be able to call that out and so for me doing that disney piece uh with my kids and, and sharing that piece with them they were like oh, okay i get it they love the ride don't yeah. get me wrong they love getting wet 
right? Like they, yeah, yeah. had that, right? Everybody's <laughs> happy, right? Like they're all good, right? Um, but but they also can step back and talk about that 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 piece, right? I I I gotta say thank you for that too, because sadly, Splash Mountain is my favorite ride. It's but, everybody's favorite ride, man. Like yeah. <laughs> they intentionally made it that way. It's almost like um, I was reading an article. And uh, in 1915, this movie "Birth of a Nation" came out. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, was played. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The original title was "Klansman." Yeah, and it was played at the White House by uh, I think it was Franklin Roosevelt or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to say the wrong person and and shame their name. But anyways, but but the (laughs) the crazy thing is that, uh, and I was reading this article, is that that movie was very well made. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, like obviously the message is horrible, but the film it was like, and then you think about dictators and Goebbels, right? Who was uh, Hitler's uh, media consultant, right? Yeah. He said, if you want to win people over, you do. You don't appeal to them with logic. You appeal to their emotions. So we we package things up that can have destructive messages in beautiful packaging totally yeah yeah and there's and there's a there's a danger there there is but but you're calling that out right there are a lot of people that won't be able to see that and that's the power of the work right when you're doing the work and you take those you you put on those lens now that that intersectionality critical race theory lens yeah you put that out there or you put those on you start to realize there's all these different things i didn't see before and why aren't we challenging that why aren't we challenging that right and so um, the more people that start poking holes in that balloon, the less air, you know, the more air that's going to come out and, and the world will change um, and we can reimagine it differently. Right. But um, I love that. You know, it's just, it, it, it's, it's so easy to talk one to talk with you because you're, you're doing the work. So it's, and you're throwing some, some great resources out there. Just as you said, Klansman there, did you ever know, I, I don't, I don't think I'm wrong with this one. Because I think they're going to talk about this in this new book that talks about the uh, Ku Klux Klan in Canada. Do you know um, Canuck Place used to be the home of the Ku Klux Klan in Vancouver? I, that doesn't surprise me, right? Like I, I read that and I was like, yeah. "What?" Like, yeah. and, and you know, um, as you said, right? Like, if you write something in a good message, mm. people and you appeal to people's emotions, right? Or you write a bad message. But you appeal to people's emotions; they're going to listen, and and that's what we see all the time, right? And and that's why people struggle, I think, with conversations about race, right? Because the message, it, like like I, I think, complicit, their exactly. own, right? Yeah, yeah, right. <clears throat> they, they don't like to feel bad about anything, so at the end, they want to say, "I feel great now," yeah, right? Yeah. I, I feel refreshed, so. Yeah, man. There's just a like a movie. Just like a movie. Oh, this like guy went through this amazing uh, transformation in two hours. That's not life. That's why I have a hard time with a lot of films. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if you can change that much in the course of an hour and 35 minutes, but okay. <laughs> right? Totally agree with you, man. No, it's, it's, it's good. Is it, so white supremacy culture, you want to talk a little bit about that? or? Are yes. You really... Well, I, I want to talk about that. There was another thing, and damn it, it slipped my mind. Anyways, but yeah, I, I do want to talk about that because I see a lot of those tenants, if you will, that have affected 
my life and my mm-hmm. inauthenticity as a person, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. oh, I got, I got to go get a good job. I don't want to get the job that I want. I have to get a good job, mm-hmm. right? So tell us a little bit about uh, white supremacy culture. Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, um, oh man, I want to say his name was, I forgot the, the second author's name, but uh, Tema Kuhn, uh, back in, in about 2000, came up with these 15 characteristics that talked about, you know, the, the most consistent values or ideas that we see within society that maintain a supremacist type or a supreme culture. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as we go through the 50, I can't remember all 15 characteristics no, off, no, the, yeah, yeah. off of my head, but like, as you talked about either or thinking, um, perfectionism, power hoarding, um, as we, as we start to go through some of that, th- those concepts, you know, the, the piece that I try to push people to, to do is look at, like you did, like you just said, is look for those in your life, you know, um, in the terms of like time, there's always like, we got to get this done. We got to get this done. We got to get this done. Yeah. And, and, and actually to combat that first nations or, or first people's principles of learning or indigenous worldviews talk about, you know, learning takes patience and time right? That we, we need to slow things down. Yeah. So you've got these two cultural extremes that are kind of going against each other. And, and really, I, I, can, I can be honest, like, I've pumped out some good stuff, but the stuff that I really pump out, well, there's things that I, I, I spent some time thinking about, yeah. right? And I slow down that process. And so in my job, when something comes down, yeah, there's some things you need to deal with immediately, right? There's an immediacy to it. Um, but a lot of times right now, like when I'm making decisions about discipline, things that have happened at school or, uh, you know, conversations that I've had with teachers that I didn't think go, went too well or whatever, I sit back and go, okay, let's slow this process down, Ken, mm. right? Learning takes some time. So walk away. You can, you can rethink about it. You can come back. And then when I come back, you know, a day later or two days later, I seem to be in a better place. Yeah. Right? Um, and so, you know, how we look at the world through those characteristics. I want people to be able to look at those characteristics and challenge themselves and go, okay, today I'm going to challenge this white, this piece of white supremacy culture in my life. And I'm going to see how it goes. And I'm going to challenge it again. And I'm going to challenge it again. And then you start living it. Right. And then people are going to look at you and go, Hey, this guy's living the good life. What is he doing? And then we're going to have more people start looking at white, you know, uh, white supremacy characteristics and, and wanting to, to make changes to their life because it's it's hard when you're doing this work to not have that in your back of your mind like you mentioned perfectionism right mm-hmm. we all need we all want to be perfect there have been times i've presented where people have come out and said you know i really didn't like how you phrased this or i think you had this wrong in this this piece whether or not i agree with them there's that that idea that hey i can learn from other people as well yes right um, I don't want to be defensive because that's another form of white supremacy culture, right? Like I don't want to be defensive. Yeah. I want to sit back and listen and, and work with people. Um, you know, I talked about sense of urgency. Uh, this idea of quality over quantity as a teacher, I expected kids in my social justice class at the beginning to complete like 30 assignments by the end of the term, right? Which is crazy, right? Mm-hmm. That's like an assignment and a half a week or whatever, and, and kids have all this other parts of their life. Now, when I got to the end of my uh, teaching career before I became an administrator, um, I was like, you know what? We're going to have 10 major assignments. Mm. You know, I don't need quality 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, or I, sorry, I don't need quantity. Quantity. I need quality, I need yeah. quality right? Uh, you know, worship of the written word. That's one that you sit back and you want to talk about um, the history of, of, you know, Eurocentric science views. It has to be written for it to be right. Right? Mm. We're historical. Versus the power of stories. Exactly. And now right. it's starting to switch back to that power of story. Yeah. But but historically, if you were a person of color and you were intelligent, but you couldn't write or couldn't do that, um, you know, you you weren't considered intelligent. And, and sit back and think about that for a second, because a lot of black people, a lot of people of color are, um, uh, you know, your black, indigenous people of color, racialized people. A lot of them didn't have access to education for a long period of time. So, so even in the United States, like we're talking, you know, 19, mid 1950s or 1960s, where you get access to education, to the same education. And, and at that point, or what is considered to be something similar to the same education of your white counterparts, you're already at a deficit, right? And so how are you supposed to compete and get your knowledge out there if people don't view uh, the way you present your knowledge as the appropriate way, but you don't have the skill sets or been given opportunities to learn the skill sets to do it the other way to get your voice out there, right? Um, you know, this idea- have you, that, and, and, and sorry, sorry to, to interrupt. Have you yeah. heard of Zora Neale Thurston? Yes, yes. And, and and how she captured stories, you know, from from people all over the South and, and things like that. But yeah. but but, th- but there you go again. The amount of wisdom that she was able to to encapture from people that weren't lit, you know, weren't literate. Yeah. Again, further kind of uh, supports that claim that you don't have to play by these specific set of rules to be in that kind of club, right? Totally. Uh, We all have things that we can contribute. We all have things we can contribute. Yes, yes. And and it's crazy. Like some of the, uh, and I don't know if you feel that way, some of the wisdom that I've gotten, you know, comes from my grandmother. You know what I mean? And and she she hasn't written a book, but she's she's lived life, right? She's 90, I mean, she's, she's 96 now and she's, She's got dementia and, and it's, you know, she doesn't remember us but as much as she, well, she struggles to remember any of us because we don't see her as much. Mm. Um, and it, it's a struggle for my family back in Trinidad. But like when I was, you know, 20 years ago before all of this, you know, before everything took over her body, I was sitting down with her and, and listening to her talk about, you know, love and, you know, the stuff that her and my grandfather had to go through, um, you know, what, what made her a strong woman, um, even though she would never say, I'm a strong woman, but you would, you could sit back and go, man, you went through that and you're still here. Like I totally, and she would tell you these stories. Like for somebody to tell me she's unintelligent because she couldn't write that down. It's just, it's just crazy. They don't right? know what they're talking about. They don't know. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, but that was their way to combat, yeah. um, you know, historically that, that indigenous, when they came to Canada, that indigenous piece, right. Yeah. You know, all oh, these guys are all storytellers, but, we, we read from the book, you know what I mean? And the book is, is the truth because it's written, um, even though we can burn paper and all that stuff. It's so, control. Uh, it's control, it's, right? It's and like, like we, we, need, we need to see, like, so much of what you're saying is just trying to control. Totally. Perfectionism, uh, you know, the product, the amount of the product that you're making. So yeah. much of this white, from what you're telling me, yeah. and then I think about my own experiences, it was like, dude, they were just trying to, like, just so much of this, like, be like us kind of thing. Well, I mean, they'll probably call it in the future, you know, the 
the Amazon or the, uh, how, how could you say this? The Amazonization of, of business, right? But remember like McDonald's, right? As you talked about, right? It, it was not necessarily quality, right? It, no. It's people go to McDonald's because it's fast food, right? And there's these three characteristics there in the McDonaldization of the world where it's like, I'm getting, I know what I'm expecting in that product, right? Like I know when I go there, no matter where I go. Consistency. It, yeah. It's going to be consistent, right? It's going to be quick, right? And it's going to be cost effective for the company. And if you have those three things, people are going to come and buy your stuff, right? Yeah. And, and McDonald's is a billionaire company, you know, billions of hundreds of billions of dollars, right? Or billions of dollars, let's not say, right? Uh, company, and you're sitting back going, hey, those systems are white supremacy culture, right? Like, yeah. in a sense, right? You know what I mean? Um, because nobody's sitting there purchasing at ends the indigenous artwork or the products that are being presented. And when people price them out because they put their time and effort into that, you're saying, no, that's too expensive. What's the difference between the quantification of people and the qualification of people, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How many, how much money can this person make me versus what is the significance of this person? And, And that right there, you see what you said right there is why um, in a sense, I think anti-racism education is going to take a while um, to grow in, yeah. in in Canada and across North America. hundred percent. I, I, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because this you know, old system, uh, this, this outdated system sort of has to kind of, sh- but you, but you even look at politics and uh, going back to, to, to Jagmeet, he's a young guy, right? We're seeing younger people, I mean, you know, Joe Biden, he's what, is he like 70? 78. The fact that- He's old blood, right? That that America, the two best candidates in America were 78 and 74. Yeah. And and if you think like, um, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but Donald Trump, right? Yeah. If you think, yes, he he truly exposed the, the raw nerves of racism in that country. A guy had the- Guy had the goddamn Confederate flag inside the Capitol building. (laughs) What more do you need to see? People were like, oh, yeah, that's Antifa. I'm like, "Uh, I don't think an Antifa person buys an Auschwitz camp shirt, you know? Like, come on. Let's open our eyes here. Anyways, if you think that suddenly because Trump is out of the White House, that the wolf is out of the White House, that the whole den is cleared, you, you are either naive or you're an ass. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. he just, he just embodied the raw of what that was. But, you know, like I said, you get one I mean, wolf out of the den, there's, there's still a den of wolves. I, I think it, you know, it goes back to, to even Obama, right? Like mm-hmm. I love Obama. Obama was great. Like he was class and, and his family, they're a beautiful family. And it was great to see, like, it was awesome to, yeah. to watch any, you know, news station show him and his, his his black children. He embodied like, leadership uh, cross culturally, cross culturally, and and, and and even him. But Michelle, like Michelle, is yeah. power, right? Yeah. She's just beauty and power and and education, um, and and just everything encompassed there. That family was such a powerful family. But but you know, Obama takes control of the White House, or not control, but he he gains the election or wins the election and goes into the seat of president of the United States. And in the, the eight years he's there, from 2008 the to... The White House. 2016, right? Yeah, it, yeah. it was, you know, burnt down, and they had to paint over the ash, right? And they painted it white, right? 
um, built by slaves, right? That people don't want to ever want to address or talk about. Um, but when Obama uh, was in the White House, you know, black people expected this overhaul yes. of policy and yeah. procedure and all that stuff. But as you're pointing out, Obama even had to put like not play, but he, he there was only so much he could do because yeah. the structures are there and they're embedded. Who are the investors? You know what I mean? And he he has to make sure that, you know, he's not pissing off this person because they need money for this or that, or, you know, he needs policy passed or whatever. And so Obama's done amazing work for, for the United States of America. Um, I, there are a lot of people, a lot of authors. Um, Ijoma Oluo would be one where they call Oh, yes, yes, yes. Right? Yeah. She, she, yeah. Uh, you know, so you want to talk about race and yeah. her, her new book. If you get a chance to, to read it, um, Mediocre, which is a story about, uh, you know, white men in power in the United States, right? Um, if you get an opportunity uh, to listen to her talk about, or read part of that, one of the chapters in there, she talks about, you know, Obama really didn't do a lot for black people, right? Um, and black people say that in the United States. And, um, but then he's, he's lived up by everybody because, you know, he, again, he meets certain characteristics or whatever, right? What people view to be a, a gracious leader and, and so forth. So as you go through all that, um, you know, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. Like, I, I'm excited Kamala, you know, first South Asian black woman vice president is yeah. crazy like yeah. you know super pop she's gonna do some talk about things. intersectionality right like and it's and i it's think the, in, uh yes yeah, south southeast asian yeah uh, caribbean right yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. and his hot and her his her husband first white you know, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 second yeah, yeah. second guy i don't even know what the term is but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and he's just like, dude, I'm I'm stoked to be here. Like, this is great, right? Totally. I yeah. I would be stoked to be there too, right? Yeah, me too. Yeah. I would love to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, like, she they're they're going to be held by yes. the policies and the structures that are there. And until we are yeah. willing to look at all that stuff and and really challenge it and and try to change it. Um, or reimagine. I love that word. That's my word. Reimagine. Oh, yeah. Well, it's Bettina, Bettina Love. Uh, reimagine um, what society should look like. It's just going to be the same thing, right? And do not think that those people, like Trump had 70 million votes. Like, yeah. 74, 74. Like, think about that number. Yeah. Right. And someone, yeah. someone said, well, yeah, but those are people that are always going to vote uh, for the Republican Party. And it's like, no, there are people who, are like, yeah, I'm Republican. I'm not voting for that guy. Totally. Right? Right? And they didn't. <laughs> and, yeah. But you got 74 million. And do not do not sit back and think that they're not educators. They're not superintendents um, in our schools, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and that's that piece of that fear, you know, fear of a black planet, right? Like, they're yeah. going to take over, right? And it's like, yeah. hey, like, slow down. For, which, by the way, is public enemy said that. Like, that's not my... Yeah thing um anyways but it's this idea of like we're losing power and it's like no we're actually just we're sharing it and then they say like oh it's marxism and stuff like that and 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 let's talk about that for a second yeah marxism on paper is a wonderful concept but we know in actuality it's like what what we talk about when we force people to just get it 
that never works. We have to understand it on an individual level. Yeah. And, and that's where it's, uh, where am I going with this? That's, that's why you have people like Stacey Abrams who were able to sort of overcome the voter suppression in the South, which is mm-hmm. nuts, by the way, I was reading about yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that you, we're starting to see the beginnings of true uh, democracy of, of, of actual representation. And, and what I'm saying is very idealistic. I, I no, but, but you're right though. Like, like, yeah. as, as you know, um, it, it, well, Isabel Wilkers, uh, Wilkerson, uh, wrote a book, uh, a book called cast, which talks about yes. the cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, United the untouchables States. of um, India and the comparisons to, to black people in, in the South. Right. Yeah. Um, and even indigenous that, people in Canada. Exactly. And, yeah. and even, you know, Germany, uh, looked at the United States and was like, what you guys are doing, and the fact that people think you're this great country, but you're doing yeah. this so openly towards black people is just crazy. There's uh, there's a book called the uh, uh, Hitler's American System or something like that. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. he shaped his you know ideas yeah. of the yeah, not yeah off yeah yeah right. So see, <laughs> this is what I like, man. We're we're reading the same stuff, yeah. and and when you talk about you know. The South after the Reconstruction, um, you know, hey, like Civil War, it, it's done. The, the South is lost. All those slave owners are getting compensated for for loss of property, right? Slaves were still considered like they didn't in certain states. You didn't even have to give up your slave until like you know eighteen ninety eight or something like that. Like you you could hold them for another thirty years. Uh, it, they had to be freed by nineteen hundred or something like that. Uh, when you sit back and think about that, and then you look at Jim Crow, yes, that happens in that Reconstruction, or just after that Reconstruction, when the North pretty much said, "You know what? We we got too much stuff going on up here. We we're just going to let you guys be yeah. down south." Well, they called the people in the North carpetbaggers. Have right? you have you heard of that? Because they just came down, they stole all the stuff or yeah. whatever. They totally yeah. just exploited what was going yeah. on there, and then oh, we freed yeah, you guys. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, Good luck. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so when you see that, you you sit back and wonder why the Southern Belt of the United States votes the way it does. Right? And and there are lots of black Republicans, right? Like don't get me oh, wrong, yeah. there are lots of black Republicans who vote for Trump. So I'm not saying that. Uh if you get a chance, Thomas Sowell, uh, who's an economist out of uh Stanford, he's probably uh in his late eighties now, but he uh had a book called um I want to say it was called white redneck or something Mm. like that and and he talks about economy and and what's been good um in the south compared to the north and and so forth he i would i would argue uh, just from reading he's more conservative more republican conservative just um you know based on what he says and what he talks about but but when you sit back and think like you know the Democrats haven't been great to black people either, right? Like, you know, it's under the Bill Cosby administration that, you know, prison uh, for profit prisons have taken off in the United States, right? There's so much stuff there that people. Oh, Bill, to- Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Yeah, Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Cl- Did I say the Clinton administration? Or? You said Bill Cosby. Oh, sorry. Did I say. Yeah, no, no, no. It's all good. It's my I, bad. I was my like- bad. <laughs> Bill Clinton, yeah, under the Clinton yeah. administration. You get that, right? And so mm-hmm. um, as, we, as we look at the American government, like it is the government that doesn't have the representation that exactly bringing the voices in because those voices again at that table challenge you. Yeah. Right. And that's what I was trying to get back earlier until the yeah. education tokenism, system, right? Is this just tokenism? Exactly. 
Yeah. Totally, right? Or so is this so, representation? Exactly. So until yeah. we get representation in school districts where people can challenge in those roles, like, hey, how are we doing How are we doing assessment? Yeah, let's decolonize assessment. Okay. I'm all for decolonizing assessment. Now, how are we as a group going to make all these teachers who are used to giving out A's and B's and following a, a Eurocentric system, how are we going to make sure that we support them? Well, that comes with the money piece, right? That, that you know, we're going to make quality education, uh, you know, decisions, but we can't. So we're just going to quantify, try to quantify the easiest, cheapest thing to do, which is never good and leads mm -hmm. to people not having uh, equitable access to anything, right? And so um, all, that's always in the back of my mind. I like that quantification of people versus qualification. And, and, and I think a lot of times, uh, you know, you're going to hear um, districts are going to ask people of color um, or people of color are going to take on these roles of, you know, trying to be anti, not trying to be, being anti-racist and challenging uh, their districts, but the district's not going to put money towards that. And, and, and so it's, when you listen to the Bettina Loves and, and, and um, you know, Goldie Mohammeds and Dina Simmons out there, um, you know, that's the piece that you kind of sit back and, and think about, like, where is the funding for it? Like, why isn't right. there positions? To, and, and, and not that, that role, because I could argue having somebody in that role um, they may then become the protector of white supremacy culture because whenever the district does something wrong, it's like, well, let's go to this person in this portfolio and see if they can help us with that, right? So you, right. you worry about that as well. But like until, you know, BC government or whoever decides, the federal government decides, you know, we are putting $50 million. You yes. know, we're, we're paying $50 million to go to Afghanistan, right? To have people over there. But we're going to take that money and we're going to put $50 million into the education system or $100 million or whatever it yeah. is we need to challenge white supremacy culture, to have people in people of diverse backgrounds or diverse voices. Yeah, creating these say, jobs, creating, creating these, these positions. Because these positions need to be created. It can't just be done through volunteerism. Exactly. Right. right. And, and, and cause it's exhausting, right? It's, it's work, right. Yeah. And you're not paying me for that work. It's pretty much slave mentality again, right. Free labor. Right. And so as we do that yeah. um, and we get more voices at the table, things will change. Right. And that's why I think Jigmeet would be so great um, in that piece. Cause it's a different voice at the table. Yes. Right. Yeah. Kamala is a different voice at the table, right. The first female voice at that table, power, power at that table. Right. Yes. Um, and so we need to really, really focus on, representation from government uh into teaching into all aspects of life because um if you don't you know our, our youth only see themselves in a couple areas that's where they're going to focus on um and and we get to we, we lose out on our futures right in that yeah. sense right because not everybody can be michael jordan not everybody yes. can be lebron james right yeah. and we all have to end up somewhere so going going back to you know finding out what what our individual you know what our calling is much like you did right yeah and the, and the work yeah, yeah. that you're doing kenneth man i uh i i thank you for for being on to share that with us and i am looking at the time i'm like oh my gosh an hour and 35 minutes i i, I kept looking i was like where's all the time going right yeah so. <laughs> yeah well it's easy to talk with you man it's easy to talk with you you're Dude, so you're, you're, you've done the work you've done the work so it's great well, I, I, and, and, and I always want to say, like, I'm doing the work. You know what I mean? I, I this yeah. is a lifelong process. And, uh, yes. you yeah. know, and yeah. if I want my daughter to learn, 
then I have to be that example. Yeah. Just like yeah. you as a father, you have to, you can't just say, you know, do, do what I say, not as I do. That's not how kids work. That's yeah. not how humans work. We, no. we learn through example. And yeah. you are such a powerful example for so many people, man. So thank no, you. No, man, we're, we're just, we're doing the work. That's all we're doing, right? Like yeah. at the end of the day, and you're giving me a platform to kind of share a little bit of that work. So again, I appreciate that. Um, you know, as you were talking about our kids, cultural humility, right? Like that's where we want to be. We, everybody talks about cultural competency and, you know, there's this kind of end goal that we want to get to, to be culturally competent. Um, you know, when we talk about cultural humility, uh, this idea of pitching a tent and having the other person lead and learning from that person is super huge. And it's this lifelong process. And that's what you're allowing me to do here today. Um, and we're walking alongside each other. So it's, it's been a pleasure, man, honestly. Well, and anytime you want me back, I'm here. Absolutely. You, I'd you know what I love to do this with Marcel too. That was Yes. Be, I was just going to say, right? you know what I would love is because I, sometimes you, I watch CNN and you have these panels and there's yeah. like, eight white people and like one black person. And it's like, yeah. uh, why don't we do it when it's the other way around? And I'm the one white dude. I fuck. I love that. Oh, <laughs> sorry. language. Anyways, I, I, I'm all about, I'm all about flipping the script, right? Yeah. Because that's, again, that's how we learn. When yeah. we see yeah, yeah. things represented differently, that's when yeah. we start to realize what it is going back to when I went to a different country and experienced a different culture I started to understand and examine myself in a right. more profound, arguably more profound way. So right. thank right. you so much. Um, yeah, man. My, no, this was great. I feel like I took took a lot of your time, but no, we were, we were vibing there. I didn't even really look at the time because we were vibing. So, uh, you know, again, young dude, you're doing some great work there. And I, and I know that you're going to carry on this, this work in, in your schools and what you're doing in your district. So let's just keep the conversation going. Absolutely. And anytime... Anytime we can talk, let's sit down and do it. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thanks for reaching out, buddy. Absolutely. Great. My pleasure. All right. Once again, that was Kenneth Headley. I thank him so much for coming on the show. I know he's a very busy person, not only with the things that he's doing in his work, but as a family man as well. One thing I want to try to catch myself on is, is being so shocked or surprised when I hear these stories of people experiencing racism. These things happen, and they happen daily, and they will continue to happen until we help educate and create an environment of inclusivity and compassion. I have such appreciation for the work that Kenneth does, and uh, I value what he says in, in that he's He's not just looking for allies, but he's looking for people that can help him do the work as well in terms of educating others and educating themselves. I hope you got something out of this. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and have a wonderful day. Thank you again for listening. I'm Robert Grant, and I'm probably wrong about everything.